Real life. Superpowers. My father, from a very young age, always taught me that 99.99% of the decisions you face in life are going to come down to two choices. There's an easy way and there's a hard way. And 99% of the time, the hard way is the right way. He said, I'll just make it very easy for you. If you choose the hard option, everything will work out. And, you know, whether that's from an, an, an ethical decision or a, an effort decision or, you know, whatever the case may be, just choose the hard way and everything will work out. Hey, everyone. Today we speak with Pat's Doset. Pat's a former Navy SEAL and Google exec who left Silicon Valley to start a business called Made For, a company that helps people reach their greatest potential by forming positive habits through principles of neuroscience, positive psychology, wellness, and health. As a podcast about peak performance with the goal of inspiring people to tap into their true potential, I think this interview cannot be more relevant. Made For believe a better world starts with a better you. I can't think of a better way to say that. Hopefully this episode will help you become a better you. Enjoy your listen. Real Life Superpowers Superpowers. So, Pat, welcome to Real Life Superpowers. Thanks. Great to be here. Yeah, it's a real honor to have you on our show. Uh, I actually heard about your project, I think, about a year ago uh, when your co-host was on a podcast that I was listening to, and I thought it's so special. Uh, and I'd love for you to sort of give us, uh, in your own words, a bit about what you do and your mission. Yeah. Um, well, first, thanks for having me. And um, yeah, I'm excited to talk about Made4 and to, to dive into a little bit to our journey. Um, first and foremost, Made4 is a program to help people connect with their best self. And we do that leveraging a lot of different science. And uh, it's what I like to say is Made4 exists at the overlap between neuroscience, positive psychology, behavioral science, physiology, all understanding how did the brain and body work and how can we leverage our systems to grow what's good inside us and ultimately realize our full potential. And um, the program is built, uh, it's a 10-month program uh, designed through a series of small positive pursuits done over time. Uh, we focus on very foundational practices, things like hydration and gratitude and social connection and exposure to nature and movement of our bodies and breath and all of these very basic things that we all intuitively know are good for us. Uh, there are things maybe that our grandparents told us about or that we've we've heard our entire lives, but for one reason or another, we've We've grown disconnected from the capacity we have to engage these practices to generate real rewards in our lives and ultimately help us grow what's good uh, inside us and allow us to be effective in navigating whatever environment we find ourselves in. And so our lead advisor, the, the person that has been really instrumental in helping us build this program is a gentleman by the name of Dr. Andrew Huberman. He's a neuroscientist out of Stanford University, runs the Huberman lab there, and um Andrew, one of the things that he studies is this is this phenomenon of neuroplasticity, this idea that we can rewire our brain over the entire course of our lifetime. And so traditionally, it was thought that up until about the age of 25, we could rewire our brain and our brains are very plastic. And, and then past 25, we're kind of fixed 
whether that's in our behaviors or our mindsets and our knowledge, things that we know, and what Andrew and many others have researched and, and really grown more appreciative of the science behind this is that really we can change our brains over the entire course of our life. And there's a couple of ways to do this. One is through the short, intense experience that oftentimes we can't plan for. Maybe it is, you know, if you're a military person, maybe it's being in combat. If you're a parent, maybe it's the birth of a child or um, it can be positive or negative. But again, these are the exceptions. They're not the norms. And the other model that you can that you can engage to really rewire the brain are these small, consistent steps done over time um, with awareness of the cause and effect relationship about what you're doing and the, the effect that it's creating. And that's really where the made for program is built. So our mission is to help uh, create a better world by helping people bring their best to the world. And um, we're, we're growing a big community. We've been at it for a few years now. We spent a year in beta. Um, we've been you know, really selling to the general public over the course of the last year through the global pandemic and all of the stress that people have been facing. But um, it's been really inspiring to see people demonstrate courage in a way that we might not typically associate with courageous acts. Just how can they show up each and every day, leveraging these very small steps and these small moments uh, towards a greater intention, towards bringing their best to not only themselves or bringing out the best in themselves, but also in everyone around them, their family, their coworkers, their teams, their organization. And it's been a, it's been a fun project to work on. Amazing. And I know that you're a former Navy SEAL. So, I mean, I guess there's a correlation of peak performance in the heart of it, but it's still quite a shift from that to where you are now. Yeah. You know, it's, it's easy looking back to um, see how all the dots connect, but I wouldn't have been able to tell you that, you know, at the start of my SEAL career, that this was the path I was going to navigate and it was going to end up in launching Made For. But when I look back, there are some very distinct experiences that I had or things that um, really stuck with me that have become a part of Made For and, and, and really set us on the path that, that we find ourselves on now. And the first one, you know, just comes from SEAL training. And it's, it's interesting. Oftentimes when people think of Navy SEALs or special forces, and certainly uh, in Israel, you know, have really, really talented, amazing units there and soldiers that do amazing things. But in the U.S., Navy SEALs typically are the ones that are celebrated and are, are, you see them in films and on TV shows and people write a lot of books about them. And from an outward appearance looking in, uh, it looks like these are superhumans that are bigger, faster, stronger, that have all these natural innate gifts and that they're unrelatable in some respect, that I could never do that. Like, wow, those people are amazing and they're exceptional and they're just different. But that couldn't be the furthest from the truth, at least in my experience. And so when I started SEAL training, um, my, my training class uh, started with around 220 people. And all of those people up until that point had sacrificed a lot to get there. It's a volunteer program. So those people had passed a number of physical screening tests. They had jumped through all the various hurdles to even get a spot into SEAL training, which is a challenge in and of itself. And those people should be commended for that. But to show up for this volunteer training program and to navigate everything that they had to, to get to that point is impressive. And so you look across those 220 people and Everyone's fit. Everyone can run and swim and um, everyone can do the obstacle course. And they meet these really they have all the physical tools that they need to be successful. But over the course of training, that 220 five weeks into training went down to over, around 150. And the six week of training for my class 
was our hell week where we stay awake for a week. We're cold, wet, tired. Um, you're not getting really any sleep, maybe an hour over the course of five and a half days. You're just pushed to your physical and mental limits. We came out of Hell Week with six people, and then the class went on to graduate 17 original candidates. Of the 220 that started, went to 150, to 36, to 17. And the thing that always struck me was those 17 people, when you look at them, were rather unremarkable. There was nothing about them that you would have been able to pick them out from a lineup and said, this is the person that's going to be successful or they're absolutely going to make it. And in fact, all of the biggest, fastest, strongest people, those that maybe most looked the part, were some of the first to decide the program wasn't for them and to go away. And so that struck me and stayed with me. It's like, wow, there's this is not about God-given abilities, and it's not about this, you know, this set of physical attributes. It's really, there's something here about a mindset um, that can be cultivated, can be forged, that allow these people to push their brains and their bodies to places that maybe they didn't even know they could push to. And so this idea of mindset stuck with me and stayed with me over the entire course of my my time in the SEALs. I was in for uh, almost nine and a half years. And when I transitioned out, it was maybe a, a year and a half later, I found myself, I was going through a graduate program at the University of Pennsylvania, and I was sitting through a course on, it was actually, I was auditing an undergraduate course, but it was on an introduction to positive psychology. It was taught by this woman, uh, Dr. Angela Duckworth, well known for her research in grit and grit as a determining factor for success. But um, her course that she was teaching was an introduction to the field of positive psychology. And on the surface, it sounds very soft and it's like, oh, that's kind of that's kind of weak. But when she was presenting the material very quickly, it became so clear that a lot of what they talked about in that field and the studies and the research they've done was unearthing the things that whether it's habits or mindsets or things in our environment, what are the small things that we can cultivate that allow us to flourish and to be our best, to grow what's good inside us? Much of that of what they put into that course um, map to what I saw people that performed at the highest levels in the SEAL teams leveraging. And so for me, that was like, okay, well, these two dots connect. That's really interesting. Um, what can we, you know, and I would say that planted the seed of, I would like to do something in this space, but I don't know what that is. A couple of years later, I was at, I was at Google and I was, I was away. Uh, I was taking a, a trip with a group of guys and my co-founder, Blake, founder of Tom Shoes, we were all talking about, you know, what could we, if we could work on anything and, and really commit to it and, and, and not let um, any external factors drive why we're working on that, just working on it from a pure joy and sense of passion and commitment, what would that be? And when it got to me, I said, we, honestly, I think I would work on something in this human potential space because I've seen very average people do extraordinary things. And I think this wiring exists inside everyone. And so I want to help people connect with that uh, in a way that can transform their life and the lives of others. And Blake was really excited about it. And he's um, has his own you know world of experience in that space. And so we really came together and said, let's figure this out. Very early on, we realized we weren't the experts. And so we brought Dr. Andrew Huberman in, Dr. John Rady, Dr. Ruth Benka, Dr. Sam Hattar, a number of just world-renowned uh, researchers, clinicians, practitioners to help us design this program. And um, that's how we ended up where we're at. Amazing. And what do you think drew you to the SEALs in the first place? Was, this, was it the same curiosity or was it more something of you know doing something that's very prestigious? Yeah, great question. My father, from a very young age, always taught me that 
99.99% of the decisions you face in life are going to come down to two choices. There's an easy way and there's a hard way. And 99% of the time, the hard way is the right way. He said, I'll just make it very easy for you. If you choose the hard option, everything will work out. And, you know, whether that's from an, an, an ethical decision or a, an effort decision or, you know, whatever the case may be, just choose the hard way and everything will work out. Well, he beat that drum quite often as I was growing up and uh, in, a, in a loving way, but beat it consistently nonetheless. And I think when I was in seventh grade, I was about 13 years of age. I read a book about Navy SEALs and I don't know how it came across it. It was a, a book titled Rogue Warrior by a gentleman named Dick Marcinko. And I read this book and right away I was like, man, that's amazing. This is a a really elite, small group of people that are doing extraordinary things. It seems like the hardest possible thing that you can do. And I just got really excited about it. Not once, for whatever reason, not once did it cross my mind like, oh, I can't do that. It was just like, oh, I have to do that. And I felt a calling. And so I feel very fortunate that I came across that book because it allowed me to focus my efforts over the following years, ultimately towards that, towards that end. And so, yeah, so I ended up going to the the Naval Academy. I, I didn't know what the Naval Academy was at the time. I just knew that it had Navy in it and I wanted to be a Navy SEAL. And so I was fortunate enough to get a slot there and then, um, and then ultimately found my way into SEAL training. But like on, on the, the mindset thing, which I, I, I agree with you totally, you had, you had two really uh, like, First of all, the, the brand of Navy SEALs is prestigious. So everybody's fast and strong, and that's what they want to show to get people excited also to be there. So it's part of the, it's part of the, the prestige in the brand. And you decided at a young age that that's what you want to do and volunteered it, and you hacked that you actually could do it. And you, you said that humbly. Everybody was faster or stronger, but the mindset won. So you hacked that. And then you had the belief that you can do that in anything. Hence, by the way, you're correct. You can do it in anything. But on that sense, how, like, you also have a lot of, um, like, it's not only motivation. It's uh, the Navy. You have to work really hard and have a lot of discipline. So when people come up to you and they didn't volunteer to the prestigious Navy fields and they have their own problems or their own vision or their own motivation, how do you get them to believe um, that that they have that link, like you believe. Like, how would you how would you show them that that you can, like you you could, which is you know, uh, I think it would be like, and then have the discipline without them having that before. Yeah, it's such it's such a great question. I think the place where I start is that, and it doesn't matter if you're a Navy SEAL or a doctor or a lawyer or a successful business person, that the titles and the roles that you feel and, and or the roles that you fill and any metrics of success that you have, these are all surface level things, right? They are, they are the things that we fixate on and celebrate, but it's not what got you there, right? What got you there was a series of small, deliberate steps done over time, right? And so we all pick what we want in life. If I think if we're doing it well, we decide, hey, this is something that I care about, an intention I have, a vision I have, a mission I really care about, and I want to um, I want to try to achieve it. And it's really important that we have that in mind. But then 
we almost like set it out on the horizon and say, okay, now I'm going to come back. I'm going to focus on what's the small thing that I can do today. And so never underestimating the power of a small step and where that can lead. And so we have an orientation towards where we want to go. And then it's just about consistent effort over time. And so, you know, even in the SEAL teams, everything that we do follows this crawl, walk, run methodology, whether we're, we're trying to figure out how to run or to swim or to do an obstacle course or to shoot a weapon or to take a small squad through a building and a structure and to clear out a, a structure. Everything is crawl, walk, run. And just, I think I've been fortunate enough that I've been placed in environments that really champion this small, consistent effort and purposeful, intentional perfect effort over time and the effects that can come from that. And so that's what I tell people like, look, there's the seals don't rise to the occasion on target and all of a sudden become, you know, take off their day clothes and put on superhero capes and and do these amazing things. Rather they fall to the level of training that they've had in place. And what you're not seeing is all of the small unsexy things that set it up so that when they got on target or they got to, um, they were working on some big thing, their inertia and the momentum that they build up over years compelled them to success in that given moment. And so, again, I don't think it, it doesn't matter what domain you find yourself in, but I try to, I try to paint a very clear picture for people of, of that model of focus on the process, um, focus on progress give yourself a little bit of grace when you go off track and really um, just consistent effort over time. And that everyone has the capacity uh, to do more than they thought possible and can achieve really great things. You probably have a really high level of demystification, like that the clarity is some, some of the things, the goals that you want, there's a lot of like intangibles and all kinds of problems around that. It feels like you need a level of demystification to actually find that route. Like you said in the Navy, there, uh, there was a lot of people who, you know, the fast ones went out and the mindsets uh, were the people with the right mindsets were left, which are the 17. So like you did this demystification to understand that why that 17 people stayed. So when people give you a challenge or a goal, it feels like you have a high level of, you said clarity, but I'm saying demystification because it's someone else's perspective and you're moving things around to get to that goal. Like, how do you, how do you build that? Like, how do you, like, how's, how does this model work? How do you demystify a complex problem? Yeah, that's a, it's a, another great question. Um, I think there are a couple of things um, that I would want to touch on there. One is, and, and maybe this is tangentially relevant, but I think the thing that sets seals apart is not how far they can run or how many pull-ups they can do or any of these physical things. The things that I believe really set seals apart from anyone uh, apart from their peers is that they find a way to be uh, effective and relevant in any environment they find themselves in. So it doesn't matter if it's in the ocean, if it's in the desert, mountains, in an urban environment, in a rural environment, you can place a seal in a new environment And very quickly, they're going to start to look around and figure out, all right, what are the things that are outside of my control, the structural parts of an environment? And then what are the things that are within my control and what levers can I pull to start to understand how I can create the effects that I want to create? And so um, I think painting a very clear picture for for um, for people on that is really important. And it doesn't matter if you're trying to navigate a global pandemic or if you're trying to navigate a new business environment or if you're trying to you know, navigate a new home situation. 
oftentimes we are placed in environments that we can't control, but we still have a desire to do something within those environments. And so um, understanding, not getting caught up in an emotional reaction to a, a given stressor, understanding that like, all right, I am just trying to be effective in this environment to achieve something that I care about. How can I best do that? So that's one standpoint, I think, or, or one lens. I think the other lens that's really important here is this idea of a, a growth mindset. And it's something that we talk often about uh, at Made For. And it comes from uh, the term growth mindset was coined by a, a woman out of Stanford University, Dr. Carol Dweck. And it's this idea that when we get uncomfortable, uh, when we find ourselves when we find ourselves stressed or we find that we're having to um, navigate a challenging circumstance or we're trying to work really hard to unlock a problem, that feeling that we get, that resistance to progress, that that is not a sign of us being incapable of achieving the thing that we want to achieve. Rather, it's a sign of this is what it feels like to move towards our goal. This is what it feels like to progress, to grow stronger, to get better. And if you can map that effort um, and that resistance to make that a positive or frame that in a positive light, very quickly, it's like, okay, yeah, this is hard. This environment is hard. This thing is hard, but it feels hard because that's a sign that I'm achieving something. So I don't know if I directly answered your question, but those are the two lenses that I would, I would think about for, for people. I think it's also, if I'm not mistaken, the growth mindset is also about not tying it down to something personal, but more to the effort. That's it. Yeah. Re reward effort and not outcome. Yeah. So if I, if I succeeded in the test, it's because I tried hard. And if I failed, it's because I didn't. I, I, I'm giving that example because I've heard, uh, I've read Carol Dweck talking about how you can work with children that way and how that's mm -hmm sort of nurtures that growth mindset. And I think it's fascinating. And it's probably also the message that you're trying to deliver through the program, right? 100%. Yeah, absolutely. I have this image that comes to mind when, when talking about focusing on process, not outcomes and, and effort. And it's this, this image of um, shooting. And so when, when SEALs train to shoot and anyone that really trains to shoot, especially a, a pistol or a handgun, there's this term called front sight focus. So uh, when you have a handgun, you have a, a front sight post and you have two sight posts in the rear and you try to line these things up and then your bullet goes in the middle and these two things are perfectly aligned and the, and the bullet goes right in the center of that. And so oftentimes when you're a novice shooter and you're starting, you're always looking at the target. So you're always thinking about, all right, where's the silhouette? What's the target? And you're focused on the target. Um, and you're almost looking over your sight posts and, 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 and looking over the, and looking towards the target. Well, that ends up slowing you down and ultimately makes you more effective. And so that would be focusing on the outcomes all the time. Um, really uh, what you're supposed to do and what makes you a really effective and fast shooter is by focusing on that front sight post. So make that front sight post really, really clear. The target's a little blurry, the rear sight posts are a little blurry, but on fo fo focusing on that front sight post and focusing on the process of um, the mechanics that you're going through when you're shooting, the bullet ends up going where you want it to go. It takes care of itself. And so I view this, you know, that is a, a really great example of focusing on a process And it's, it's important to understand what's that target you're going for, what's that big mission or that big vision, but then let it get a little bit blurry and then bring it in a little bit because you can't manage the outcomes. You can't manage what you're doing day to day, these small things that you're doing and focusing on that front side post allows you to be much more effective. So 
I don't know if that if that if I if I made it more confusing or not, but that's how I think about it. For sure, for us not. I mean, we were uh, yeah, Israelis. We were so. in the army, so we've been, we yeah, we yeah, had no, our experience <laughs> training. So I wanted to ask you: Is this the first time that you're an entrepreneur? It, it is. It's something that I knew going through. Uh, I, I went to business school after um, after my time in the teams. And I knew I always wanted to be an entrepreneur, that I wanted to start a company and uh, and work on big missions that I cared about. But I couldn't, in business school, I did, didn't know what that idea was and I didn't know what the team was going to be. And so it took a little bit of time, but eventually I found my way here. Oh, okay. So sidetracking a bit, uh, but business school, do you think that was helpful in any sense? I think it was really helpful for a, a lot of different reasons. Some that I... I probably planned for and some that I didn't plan for. When I was leaving the SEAL teams, and I, I think I love that job more than anything. And I love and and much like much like you all serve in the military, like for me, the people that I got to work with and the mission sets they got to work that I got to work on and just the consequence of action and everything was just supercharged and it was an amazing environment and culture uh, and community to be a part of. And I can, I still consider myself a part of it, but to be in it and to wear the uniform is a special thing. Deciding to leave it was maybe one of the hardest things uh, to transition out of that because I had been focused on it from such a young age and essentially grew up in it. It was very hard to leave. But one of the things that allowed me to leave with peace of mind was that I recognized I love diving, shooting, jumping, blowing things up, traveling around, all of these superficial aspects of the SEAL teams. But what I loved the most was taking and working with a small group of people on and achieving outsized positive effects in a battle space or an environment. And so with a small group, we can far exceed, you know, any one individual's capability or capacity, and we can we can shape things on a much bigger level. And that was the through line that I said, okay, I'm leaving the teams, I'm setting down my weapons and you know, all the, the tools of the trade. Um, and I need to pick up some new tools. Ultimately, I still want to work with small teams to create big positive effects. And for me, it seemed like a natural place to do that was to go to business school. I didn't know what I didn't know. I could meet people from a whole bunch of different industries and backgrounds and start to understand what are some of the tools that are leveraged in the business world um, and see, again, how can I leverage these tools to create and affect the um, environment, create change and affect the environment in the way that I wanted to do. So from that standpoint, it was, it was amazing. I think the thing that I didn't fully appreciate going into into business school and I was at the University of Pennsylvania was how nice it was to be able to be in a new environment but still be around veterans at the at, at Wharton we still have a very strong veteran network and just again it, with that transition out of the military it's always hard but being able to go through a, an accounting class or finance class or an entrepreneurship class and look up and see a veteran and we can just look at each other. Like I think of my buddy, Mark Wales, Mark and I can just look at each other and we're on the same page. Like we get it. And it's nice to have um, someone that has a, sh a shared background and experience to be able to navigate new waters alongside. So that I just really appreciate it. Are, are you, are you extremely good at uncertainty? Meaning um, uh, it sounds to me like you know what to do uh, to get things started and you always leverage situations and you feel to me like a person that doesn't have a lot of uncertainties. Like if you don't know where to start, you just start. I feel like that that's how you act because if you add to what the, what you said about entrepreneurship, 
small teams meeting the intangible goals and stuff. If you add uncertainty to that, that's an entrepreneur. Like if he also likes to, you know, a hard mission is somewhere that you don't know how to get to and you have to, it's like a riddle where you have to solve it. And there's always another riddle, another riddle. So it, it feels to me like you have like a natural gift of, of, of actually living uncertainty and knowing how to, you know, get things rolling and get a team together in uncertainty and winning, which is a lot of military stuff. But is, is that a natural leader or am I? Yeah, no, I, I think coming from the special operations community and being in the SEAL teams, you, you get accustomed to working in new environments and never having perfect information. And there are a couple of, of through lines in the community. And I think this would apply for, for most anyone in the military is that, but especially so in the SEAL teams is that we always have a mission focused mindset. So we're always focused on what is the mission? What is the mission? What is the mission? Is this helping us achieve the mission or is it not? And that becomes a, it's almost a binary, you know, it's black or white. Like, is this helping us move towards or is this helping us move away? And so it makes very clear how you should measure any one step at any given time. But Alongside that mission-focused mindset is this idea of a bias for action, that we recognize that you're never going to have perfect information. And I'm not the first one to say this, but, you know, 60% clarity uh, or 60% understanding the environment and a a step taken with 100% conviction is better than 100% certainty of the environment of a step that's never taken, right? And so this idea of like, let's let's take a step and then let's reassess. Let's take a step and let's reassess. And um, there's a, there's a, really famous gentleman, and, and they talk about him in business schools now, um, but he's a, a famous Air Force pilot named Colonel John Boyd, and he's famous for this, what, it, what it's known as the OODA loop, and it's this idea, and it, and it comes from Air Force tactics and um, dogfighting, so air-to-air combat. Uh, so you observe, uh, you orient where you're at, you make a decision, and then you act. And then as soon as you act, you go right back into observation mode again. And so the quicker you can work your way through this cycle of observe, orient, decide, act, observe, orient, decide, act, the faster you get inside the decision-making cycle of uh, your competition, the enemy, the environment, and the more effective you can be in that environment. And so I think is a really, just a really helpful tool for entrepreneurs, certainly something we leveraged in the military community and, and in the SEAL teams. So those are some things that that I have probably benefited from, from the environments that I've, that I've existed in and of the communities that I've been a part of that I leverage inside entrepreneurship. But even, you know, and I'm not immune to um, paralysis through analysis. I mean, I can, I really love to think about something and, and, and dive deep on it and understand it before I make a decision if the environment or the, the time allows. Um, but I'm also, I recognize that, you know, uh, entrepreneurship is not a individual sport. It is a team effort. And so I have put people on my team where I uh, maybe default to something that might not set us up for success. I, I shore up my, my weaknesses with their strengths. And collectively as a team, we work really, really well together again to have this bias for action, have a mission-focused mindset, and again, recognize that we're never going to have 100% certainty in, in anything that we do. So as long as we're learning from uh, through our consistent effort over time, we're going to end up in a really great place. Again, the outcomes are going to take care of themselves. I love the dog nut fighting metaphor because, you know, any algorithm that optimizes like AI, that that's, that, that's it. It's like correction and simulation. So any algorithm that works in the same way, it stops and it optimizes again from the beginning. So 
you know, the, everything to the, from the orientation to the act is the algorithm itself. So that's rewiring your brain. Like that's, it's simple. It's like, but it's, it's, it's that. So in the 60% you said, I get it because entrepreneur, you can have 100% conviction. You act and optimize and act and optimize. And uh, that's great. And how do you, how did you, like, how do you know that these were your weaknesses? And by the way, and why the, like, why they were their strengths? It's interesting. This is going back a little bit. I think that I, I am the product. My parents got divorced at a very young age. And so I had to, from a very young age, understand to read the room and understand interpersonal dynamics and try to, whether I was, you know, with one family or the other family and trying to figure out, like, I was always attuned to what was going on in my, in my environment and how I could best navigate that or shape that environment from a very you know young age. Obviously, I, I wouldn't have these words as a as a four year old or a five year old, but I can see looking back why I am the way that I am. And, and part of that is it's it's probably given me a level of self awareness to understand where my strengths are, where my weaknesses are, how I am fitting in relation to, uh, you know, another teammate or uh, something else that's, uh, that's adjacent to me. Um, and again, how can I read and respond uh, ultimately to get the effect that I'm looking for? So um, I probably went a little further back than, uh, than your, <laughs> your question was asking for, but that's, I think where, um, where it comes from is just, I have a, you know, maybe that is one of my strengths is, is being self-aware and then and recognizing it and having no shame in in knowing that I don't have all the answers. And I think, you know, what was interesting about Made For is that we launched and started on this endeavor, Blake and I did, with really alignment of a mission, but no um, no clarity on a product or service or business model. And so we said very early on and said, okay. And what I what I told Blake was like, look, as, as long as we can align on this mission, this impact that we're ultimately trying to have on people, and you and I understand how we're going to work together, that we're going to have a transparent and honest, you know, relationship, and there will be no daylight between what I'm thinking and what you're thinking, then um, uh, then we can do it. And I feel confident, and like let's give it a shot. And so that's how we started. And but there was a lot of uncertainty to to work through, and ultimately to to get a product together. So. So how did you navigate that? Like, how did that become a product? I had been just doing a ton of research independently um, leading up to Blake asking that question. So again, in cognitive neuroscience and positive psychology and behavioral science, and I was starting to see some interesting intersections in these fields. And at the same time that I was seeing those intersections, I was also, I think because I was at the time I was at Google, I was in the Bay Area, um, seeing a lot of the, the products and offerings that people were being presented and the things that people were spending their money on. And for me, I was just getting so frustrated by seeing people spend their money and their time and their effort and, and, and really exert so much effort and see so little return um, that it was like that was just just driving me crazy. You know, people that were jumping from one fad to the next, one hack to the next, or oh, I've got this piece of technology and this is the answer and this, and they were skipping over again, like some very foundational practices that no one wants to sell you because it's not sexy and it's not a quick fix. That was really, was really, really bothering me. And so when Blake started, Blake and I started working on this, I took some of that research and some of that perspective and started saying, okay, let's figure out 
not what necessarily what we can sell, but what is actually going to work? Like what is going to make a difference for people? And let's come into this space of, if you want to call it wellness or human potential or well-being with a really high degree of integrity and just not worry about, again, what can be marketed or sold, but let's figure out what works and what's effective and then build from the inside out. And so from my research, again, Blake and I weren't the experts. And so, but we had some perspectives. We brought in Dr. Huberman and started thinking about leveraging the brain as the unit of analysis for are we encoding behaviors and mindsets in a lasting way? Uh, the behaviors and mindsets that we know ultimately help people be more successful in any environment that they find themselves in and ultimately bring their best to the world. We just started adding more and more advisors and really working with them to say, all right, based on everything that you've seen, everything that you've been exposed to, what do you think works? And if you could take, if you could distill it down to what is the smallest thing that you would tell someone to do, um, what is that? And what's the science behind that? And then can we build our offering and our program around that? And that's really what we did. So we spent about a year working alongside our advisors and working with our team to create the product. And then we spent a year in beta servicing, uh, again, around 1,300 members going through and really learned um, not so much. We didn't change anything about the, the challenges or the, or the steps that we lay out for people. The science certainly didn't change. But what changed is our understanding of how do we best help someone navigate this program and stay engaged uh, over the course of 10 months? Because no one step it made for it is out of reach for anyone. It might not seem like it's that monumental, but collectively they add up to really great effect and transformational change. And so the job of the company really became one of guide, cheerleader, coach to keep people engaged, to keep them exerting effort, um, and ultimately to create the uh, the positive effects we we're looking for. So we figured out how best to communicate to people when to lean in, when to lean out, and guide them on this journey of change. Again, letting them be the, uh, the creators of the progress uh, in the program from their effort. So... What is like the case study that for you, like you said, okay, you know, I'm like, I'm sure you're proud of the amazing uh, company that you made, but is there like one that stands out to you for like a game changer uh, in your mind saying, oh my God, like, I can't believe I did that. I have uh, venture people reach out and say like, are you guys, do you guys want money or, you, you know, there's obviously so much money out there right now. And so they're like, do you want, are you looking for investors? Like, what are your metrics? And we see a lot of the companies that are, maybe in this wellness space focused on scale and all right, we've got, you know, 15 million users or 25 million users and they're generally tech products, but we have all these users. They're not profitable, uh, but they're focused on getting that next level of scale and scale and scale. What we have done is taken the opposite approach and we really focus on the individual and trying to grow this program one member at a time. And what that allows us to do is to be really close uh, to our membership and to share in their wins. And so when you ask like, what's the, what's the one thing that is, that has really struck me as like, okay, this is, this is amazing success. There are so many, I mean, I had a, I was on a call with one of our members last week, who's a judge um, in Florida and she's been running her, her courtroom virtually for the last 10 months. Um, and she said, you know, I didn't know that I needed made for um, when I started it. I just thought it was interesting and I tried it, but she said, I don't know how I would have navigated this past year without this program. And she said, it has not only changed how I feel 
on a day-to-day basis. It changed the way that I show up in the courtroom and the manner in which I engage with people that come into my courtroom. And I am thinking like, oh my God, that that's amazing. Like I, I think anyone that might find themselves in a court of law, want a judge that's fully present and maybe has a little bit of compassion and, and is just bringing their best self to that, that room and not um, moving through, uh, moving through their day on inertia. So I think that's really cool. We had a member that contacted us about a month ago that said, again, I didn't know that I needed made for, I just thought it was interesting. And I started doing it. And she said, one of the things that made for has taught me is that I am not flawed, but my environment is. And what she meant by that was she said, uh, I came home a few weeks ago and my husband had thrown one of our children on the floor and she seemed shook up. And then I talked to the other child and the other child said that, said that it was really, really bad and really scary. And she said right away, everything clicked. And I recognized that he was the problem. He created an unsafe environment for my family and I kicked him out and I've left him. And without you all, I wouldn't have had the courage and the confidence to take that action and to recognize, you know, what was going on in my environment. And so we just hear, you know, stories all the time about people navigating or stepping more fully into their life and navigating their life better. We had a a woman, we have a a month that's on movement and we had a, a 67 year old lady that after going through the movement month, she told us that, um, I had, uh, she's like, I had a lot of doubts going into this month because of my age and my ability level. And she said, at the end of this month, she said, one of the things that I realized, uh, and she said, I never knew that I'd internalized this before, but she said, I realized that prior to this month, I always thought my best days were behind me. And she said, after going through this month, I now realize my best days are here now and they're ahead of me. And I'm excited to engage my life in a way that I haven't engaged before. And so I gave examples of women. I have lots of examples on the, on the, on the male side, too. But again, it's just people uh, finding ways to exert control, uh, to build conviction and certainty in their life and to, again, focus on growing what's good has been has been amazing. And something I skipped over earlier about our program is every month focuses on a foundational habit, but we give people the science behind an area of practice, really get them excited about engaging in it. And then we pair that with a physical tool that they would use over the course of the month. And then a challenge designed around what's the smallest thing that we can get you to do where you would see a benefit of your actions. And that's in line with the science and the proven research behind it. And so again, there's no wasted, you know, it's all about economy emotion at May 4. There's no wasted effort, but through these small positive pursuits daily, um, people end up going to some pretty amazing places. And that's that's been a lot of fun. I'm so jealous. <laughs> the thing I'm jealous about is that the feedback you get is an outcome that's very binaric. Yes, you helped me because or no. And I love that because the only thing I can think of that's similar is actually sports or content or something like that where there's an on- uh, outcome of I like the movie or didn't. Okay, in business, it's sort of like never endless. There's an outcome. She kicked him out. She's empowered. She's managing her life. You know what I mean? Like, you you can't argue with that. And and I'm jealous for the feeling because it's like having an award behind you and being proud of what you do is having an award. So that I'm jealous about. And 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 I totally get how that that does the motivation. And I totally get the from the stories why the effort is really important because the outcome is actually for you. The effort is actually for them. Like the, you understand what I mean? Like you, the outcome is not important because it, yeah. the outcome is just you doing a good job. The effort is what gives them the empowerment, and uh, and I love that. So in that sense, I'm jealous. <laughs> well, I, you know, it's just just to that last point. 
And I, I tell our members this all the time and at the outset of the program is that, you know, we, we curate the science and tools and steps and offer support. And um, we have all these great advisors and, you know, we do, we do online calls and two-way texting and we do, we have all of these touch points of the program, but the value of made for isn't in any of that. It's a little bit of the paradox of the program. There's the value isn't in a physical object that you get with made for the value comes from how we, how we leverage all of those things collectively to get you to do something, to take a step. And the value is in uh, the benefits that you see from the effort you exert. Uh, again, like it's our job to keep you on track and exerting effort over time. Um, and what we found is that over that time period, people create lasting shifts and perspectives and behaviors that uh, some of which, again, they may have planned for, some of which may surprise them. And that's, um, it's been, that, that part is cool. And I, I look, I, it's easy to, to focus on the wins and, and our success stories. And I certainly talk to our team all the time about, like, let these things be the beacons of light that allow us to have the conviction that our mission is worthy of the pursuit, worthy of the effort, and to continue to stay the course. We want to make sure we're getting better and that we're on a growth trajectory and and always focused. And I mean growth, not from a scale standpoint, but growth that we're constantly, um, we're never settling. Uh, We're constantly trying to be better every day as an an organization for our members, but allow these these stories to be those things that uh, help you navigate uncertainty. And when we get, you know, we'll get people that comment on our ads that say like, oh, this is all smoke and mirrors or people that uh, sometimes we'll have members that start the program. The the first month of our program focuses on hydration. They're like, I paid $60 or $70 and you're telling me to drink water. And like, this is, this is crap. And I want my money back. And this is, you know, they're, they're very, um, they judge the program on again, a physical object, because that's what we're used to judging things on. And they don't, they're not able to look at the entire program in context. And that that's a miss on our part, that we need to help that person get to that point. But, or maybe they're not um, your target audience. Well, yeah, and that's the thing, right? That made for is not going to be for everyone. But I, I will say is one of the we were very early on in the program in our beta phase, maybe three or four months in, and I was doing a call with a member and she was giving us feedback. You know, I I like this. I don't like this. Your packaging could change this and that, you know, everything very, you know, relatively expected. And so at the end of the call, I was like, okay, great. And I think maybe this is one of our first member feedback calls and the call was like, all right, well, that wasn't so bad. Like, all right. Um, And then she said, oh, I have one more thing. And I was like, oh God, here it comes. Like she's going to, this is it. This is the, the curveball. And she said, she said, I got to tell you something. It takes, and these are her words, not mine. Uh, it takes a lot of balls. And I said, oh, what do you mean? She said, it takes a lot of balls to charge someone $75 and then tell them to drink water. But she said, I have to commend you on what you've done because it works. It's effective. And um, and no one else is doing that. And so, you know, our again, our, our first month is is around hydration and we our tool is this water bottle and we ask members over the course of the month to track how much water they're drinking and, and we talk about the science of hydration and that how much you drink is dependent upon so many factors. There's no one size fits all approach, but over the course of that month, 
uh, and getting people to pay attention to a small thing that they're doing every day and understanding how that's affecting them, you get some really interesting knock-on effects of that, not only from a hydration standpoint, but from adjacent areas of attention and effort throughout your day. And so, again, that was one example of like, all right, well, someone gets it. And if someone get it, someone else can get it. And this is worthy of continuing. But uh, I'll be the first to say that there's been so many moments of self-doubt. And I think this, any entrepreneur, I think would, would say something similar is that you can have all of the best intentions and, and leverage the best science and, and try to account for everything. But at the end of the day, the customer gets a vote, right? And they may decide this is crap. I don't like this. This is not for me. And, you know, trying to balance being focused on the member for us and their experience, but also um, coming back to some internal convictions about what right looks like and what we're trying to build um, is an interesting is an interesting thing to navigate. And it, it, it oftentimes brings up, you know, long periods of uncertainty and self-doubt. And um, but again, when that happens, try to think about big mission and then let's come back to this small step and get into action and then go from there. So. What's more difficult, being a Navy SEAL or an entrepreneur? <laughs> um, you know what I'll tell you is more difficult? We launched Made For to the general public about a year ago. And I have got 18-month-old twin girls. And um, raising twins through a pandemic, and my wife is pregnant. She's due in a month. Raising, pr- raising twins through a pandemic, uh, having um, a pregnant wife, trying to build and grow a startup, um, it's a lot. It is a lot. And what I, what I, you know, I think that, um, being a SEAL is certainly hard, but even in SEAL training, there's always a bell that follows you everywhere you go. And if you decide you don't want to do it anymore, you can just go ring the bell three times and you can be done. You can get warm. You can go to sleep. You can get some food. Um, there's always a way to get out of that situation, at least in training. Yeah. In the environment I find myself in now, there's no bells. And I've certainly looked, right? Like the, the kids are screaming. I'm on a Zoom call. The me, you know, members are upset. We're having supply chain issues. There's like, there's no way to jump out of this. And so I have to, again, come back to, all right, what's within my control? Let's focus on that. And let's keep just making small uh, progressive steps each and every day. And, and so I, I say that to say like, look, anybody that is going through life, um, that doesn't have a bell to ring, I think that's the hardest thing. And having the courage and the conviction to show up every day and to recognize that these small bits of time throughout our day or our days um, can be leveraged in such a way that builds us up and doesn't break us down and builds those around us up, whether it's our families or our teams or our companies, that is to me the most impressive thing. So that's how I think about it. Incredible. Um, we always ask this question and somehow with you, it feels a bit weird to ask you, but I'll still ask you, what would you say your superpower is? <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, this is a question I thought a lot about. And um, I, uh, I am not, at least I have not yet found the thing that I'm naturally good at. I don't have like, I'm not, I'm not very athletic. There's nothing that comes easy to me. And so I think the thing that I lean on more than anything else is just an ability to endure and to grind and to maybe to Angela's research, exert a level of grit and tenacity that allows me to achieve despite my inadequacies. And so I think, you know, that is, um, that, that might be my superpower. And, you know, an example of this is, for business school, you have to take this test called the, the GMAT, 
right? And, and so it judges your math aptitude and your logic aptitude. And, you know, I studied oceanography in, in college and it was essentially all math and all engineering. And I felt very comfortable in navigating that. But for whatever reason on the GMAT, I just couldn't crack that test. And so I ended up taking that test, uh, I believe, seven times. Um, and for anyone that's taken that test, it you have to separate your attempts by at least a month and they always require a lot of effort. And so I think I did every question available in every book, every practice test, did everything to ultimately have success on the seventh try and then end up getting into the, the school that I wanted to go to. So you think they've cut you some slack for being an army veteran. Well, the, you know, the, the, uh, the, the gates are, the, the gates are what they are, right. And they're, they're the same and you got to navigate them. And so, um, but again, you look at a resume and you see, or, Hey, someone went here, or they did this, or they achieved that. What you don't see is everything that went behind it. And so what was behind me ultimately getting an MBA from Wharton, which I'm really proud of. And the people that I worked with was a whole lot of unsexy, deliberate, small efforts, um, and a lot of uncertainty, but ultimately I stuck with it and I was able to navigate my way to, um, to the outcome that I was after. Like I'm going to geek out here for a second, but there's yeah. the superheroes that touch other people and get their powers, right? So I feel that you, you're constantly judging yourself, seeing what you do well, optimizing and evolving. And you have the, the persistence is just one of the methods that you do as a gym man because you needed a lot of persistence. You didn't quit, but you're evolving. So as you said right now, the hardest mission is being a parent, which by the way, I really like the bell metaphor because <laughs> there's this sentence in different language that says it's a golden uh, prison because it's amazing, but you know, you just want, you know, the, the, the problem there's is no not escape. how hard it is. It's the, the escaping of taking responsibility. So I, it made me laugh um, because <laughs> that's, that's psychology boys. It's, it's hard for, for anybody that's a Mustang kind of person. That's the scary thing. Everything else is okay. But, you know, getting caught into something. So I, I think one of the things that you do greatly, at least till now, is is optimizing, being humble enough to learn and feeding off the environment and saying, seeing how you leverage it. Like, and discipline is just one of the muscles that you're using. I think there's that's the characteristic uh, that I feel that, you know, came over and over again. Thank, thank, thank you for saying that. Yeah, I, I think one of the um, one of the attributes in the SEAL teams and that what you will see from the most experienced operators, and I, I, I'm certain you you all experience this as well, but the people that have done the most, that, that their opinions hold a lot of weight uh, and they matter, are also the ones that never stop learning, right? They're always trying to figure out how can I be better, what's different, what's changing. And, and those that um, are very rigid and hold on to dogmatically, this is the way it's done, this is the way it's always been done, are generally people that um, are really dangerous to have on a team. Uh, and oftentimes, maybe they don't have the experience or, yeah. So I try to, where I can, draw from some really great examples of things that I've seen people leverage in the military and try to you know keep that as part of my system and again, to never stop learning. So thank you for, uh, for pointing that out. And I would say, the last thing, uh, I'll just add one more in there, is that I really do have an unbounded belief in the potential of others. Not, I don't always, I'm not always able to apply that internally, that I have a lot of self-doubt. And I try to leverage that self-doubt to, um, to energize me towards, you know, in positive directions. But when it comes to someone else, like I, I 100% believe that uh, people can achieve 
so much more than maybe they think is possible or that um, that they just have this potential inside themselves. And so I, I really love that and I'm always fired up uh, when um, I can play a bit part or when I see someone unlocking that inside themselves. So. I can relate to that so much. And I feel in many ways, it's also why we're doing this podcast and just in general, exploring human potential is, is so huge and exciting. I, I think what you're doing is incredible. When are you going to be shipping to Israel as well? We are, we are working on that. One of the challenges right now, we're, we're pre- predominantly in the U.S. market, but one of the challenges, the, obviously the logistics and the duties and the international shipping, but that is um, something that we're working on and we hope to get over there soon. So as soon as we do, maybe, maybe you can have me back on and, uh, and I'll make sure that you are first to uh, a few members in Israel. So, so for, for sakes, and I'm going to commit this on podcast, if you want, we can help you do that in any way. Amazing. On the side note, I'm going to say this. I um, I thank you for being an inspiration in a way, and uh, and I'll tell you why. Because you are a real life superhero. Because you are the Navy SEALs, and that's the brand that they came out to. And being humble enough, actually, to say how you did that in a real manner, and not being the Superman, but being you know on the on the on the exposed side, okay, and making it human for other people, and believing mm-hmm. that they can do it is really, really important because the arbitrage in most businesses is showing that you are the guru, okay? And I'm, I, I'm enjoying the, and I know that you are going to be successful on the impact because I feel that you're not trying to make the arbitrage on the knowledge, but you're doing the arbitrage that you're trying to evolve each time and get better. And if you won't, you won't give that product. And for that, you're an inspiration and you're a real superhero, not like the Navy kind of way. So so keep on doing that. And it's fun being around people like that because there's less and less because the Instagram and the shallowness around it and just showing that you're amazing is uh, is easy. But just telling people what the secret is and, and still wanting to, you know, getting the secret sauce out and, you know, trusting yourself that you're good enough. I love it. And on the second uh, note, I want to say something that I wanted to say for a while since I saw the bottle of water. One of the conversations we had in the podcast, and I'll finish off with this, is that Noah complained that she doesn't drink enough water. <laughs> this is a real story. And it happened seven minutes just before because she had a headache. And what's amazing about that is I saw her thinking about the water as a small thing to do. Okay. And this is, if you, if you know Noah, like she physically is an entrepreneur, works the heck out, gets better, evolves a lot of good attributes. But that drinking water thing, she is working on it so much. And for that metaphor, she was like, oh, my God, I have to do this. I have to do this. I saw it in her eyes okay, while I was looking at the screen. So, so, so yeah, I invite you to collaborate and we'll bring you in anyway. And I'm, I'm like the member here is she's like, I'm going to call it down. <laughs> so you have us then. No, I actually remember. What? I forgot that you guys do the water thing because I did hear about the program and read about it. But somehow, uh, it, right. it, but, but still just before I got here and I came here and I forgot to drink again. And I told Renan I forgot to drink. And it's so it's such a, it's, I don't know, sort of a coincidence. It's a $90,000 problem here. It's not the same. Like you won't complain. If you solve that, everything okay is okay. But, that's right. Noah, make sure send me your address afterwards and I'll send you I'll send you guys two of our intro kits, which has the, the water bottle and some some of the research there. And it's funny. We we hear this all the time from people that 
when they don't drink enough water or their doctors have been telling them to drink water for so long and they know they're supposed to, and they've always been resistance to it. But the way that, that we approach it is just made it easy and it's something that they do. And so um, I, I'll get, I'll get those kits to you and then I look forward to your feedback and then, yeah, let's uh, maybe work together in Israel. That'd be amazing. Amazing. Yeah. We'd love that. We'd love that. And we're really happy that you came and spoke with us. Uh, I think this is so valuable and I thank you for doing what you're doing. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. And I uh, look forward to seeing you all connecting again soon. Gladly. And we're rooting for you. All right. All the best. Great. Thank you. Bye. Real life. Superpowers. Superpowers.